सहनावतु सहनो भुनक्तु सह वीर करवाहे तेजस्वी नवधीतमस्तु मिदिषावे ओं शाति 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 ओं May the Lord protect us both, the teacher and the taught, together by revealing knowledge. May the Lord protect us both by giving us the results of knowledge. May we attain vigor together. Let what what we study be illuminating. May we not cavil at each other. Om, peace, peace, peace. So we are studying the Katopanishad, and we were. in the second section of the first chapter we had done the 10th mantra if i remember correctly uh, where yama the lord of death and the teacher is praising the young boy nachiketa who is also the student and saying that you know you are unique i was at one time a mortal like you so for this we have to understand all these gods with with small g they they are sentient beings just like us but like us is a stretch they are extraordinarily powerful and and you know magnificent in many different ways uh, they are like you know superman spiderman and so on and so forth all rolled together in all the superheroes in one but they are still sentient beings they are jeevas and they have come to these powers and extraordinary positions because of a lot of good karma a um, lot of vedic rituals performed at some time now yama says i was a mortal like you but there is this big difference i performed these rituals to get um, you know these high posts in heaven so a lot of power and and glory i did not um, look for knowledge i did not look for truth i did not look for enlightenment whereas you little boy that you are at this stage itself you have seen seen through the whole show the whole charade carefully and and you have rejected all of it um worldly and heavenly all the glories the pleasures of it worldly and heavenly you have rejected it and you have opted you have chosen only enlightenment only moksha only liberation only spiritual freedom you are indeed extraordinary may we have more students like you um so what have i got yama expounds on that what did i choose and and what did i get uh, which is the highest thing one can get in this world of maya what's the uh, it's all a movie but what's the best movie one can watch so he is going to describe that in the 11th mantra what he is going to describe sounds a lot like brahman the supreme reality but it is not it is actually the state of uh, hiranyagarbha actually that is the highest thing one can aim for 11th mantra kamasyaptim jagatah pratishtham kratorantyam abhayasya param stomam mahad urugayam pratishtham drishtva dhritya dhiro nachiketu atyasrakshi o nachiketa you on becoming enlightened have rejected them all rejected them all by examining patiently the highest reach of desire the support of the universe the infinite results of meditation the other shore of fearlessness the extensive course of hiranyagarbha that is praiseworthy and great as also your own state so he praises nachiketa now all these descriptions sound a lot like the ultimate reality but they are not these have to be carefully distinguished what he is saying is that what's the greatest thing one can attain um, in this world in this world and the next world for this one can look at the taittiriya upanishad in the second chapter of the taittiriya upanishad which is called the brahmananda valli the the section or the chapter on the bliss of brahman at the very end there is a section called a calculus of bliss a measurement of happiness ananda mimamsa and there what it says is briefly i'll outline it 
it'll, it'll give you a background to what we are going what yama is going to indicate now there what he said is that if the goal is profound satisfaction the deepest the highest uh, possible happiness then we need to understand what happiness is and we need to develop a scale of happiness the economists would be very interested there the upanishad this is taittiriya upanishad the upanishad says let's consider that what's the maximum possible happiness you can think of in this world so consider a person who is first of all young so at this point i remember one audience that was in trabuco um, in orange county when i said in order to be really happy the upanishad first of all says you have to be young and from the audience there came boos from i think senior citizens but it's an unfortunate fact that the kind of uh, ease uh, you know health and uh, uh, that the young enjoy effortlessly it takes a lot of hard work when you get older to even come close to that so you have to be young you are siyat upanishad says and also healthy not a sickly youngster you have to be physically very strong uh, arshishta darishta balishta multiple words are used to indicate strength and vigor vigor of all the senses one of the commentators says the, the ability to consume not just physically food eat food but um, all the senses are powerful so you are you are young and vigorous and healthy and then not a fool um, you are highly educated you have got degrees from all the ivy league um universe universities it says adhyayakasa the who is highly qualified highly learned multiple degrees and then all of that is again not much good if you are very poor you've got enormous student loans no tasya prithivisya vittasya purnad all of the wealth of this world is at your disposal so what do they call trust fund babies so you're born into a lot of wealth now enormous amounts of wealth a lot of learning uh, tremendous physical uh, strength and you are young and salusyad you are a good person noble person well intentioned not a wastrel not somebody who will waste all these uh, resources somebody out to do good um, lead a fulfilling life and be good to um, to this uh, be a blessing to society and then the upanishad says imagine this and this is the maximum happiness imaginable in human life what they have thought about 5000 years ago still holds true today actually that's what we can imagine the maximum possible human happiness young um, strong vigorous um, highly learned well intentioned um, uh, and all of that together and enormously rich now he says the upanishad says this is one unit of happiness this is just one unit of happiness is there more happiness possible upanishad says yes but not in this world why not in this world because happiness depends upon three factors one is the instrument with which you will enjoy the body so the human body cannot enjoy cannot um, consume enjoy experience more happiness than this you'll burn out it's like passing a million volts through a, a small electric bulb it'll just burn out so you need a more powerful body are there more powerful bodies possible it sounds like science fiction they say yes in other worlds there are other other bodies possible these heavenly worlds will have heavenly bodies i mean quote unquote uh, and then not only these bodies with these bodies you need better uh, objects of desire the it's your worldly food and um, worldly music and worldly art and worldly uh, vacations won't cut it they you have to have other worldly heavenly food and music and vacations and stuff like that so objects of desire also must be extraordinary and then the environment also counts the world in which you will enjoy these things it can't be this gross physical world it has to be today we understand a virtual environment or something like that so sharira body vishaya objects of enjoyment loka world in which you enjoy all three must be superior to this mundane world a body far superior to our poor human mortal bodies um objects far superior to whatever we can produce even today in 21st century and a world 
far superior to this material earth. Are there such worlds? Are there such bodies? Are there such objects of enjoyment? Upanishad says yes and tells you there is a higher, there are higher, they call them heavens, swarga. There are a whole range of heavens, not one heaven, multiple heavens. And by the way, none of them are particularly spiritual. They are not uh, gross. They are subtle, sophisticated. Uh, they are, um, it's more, uh, you know, there's, there's greater sensual enjoyment there. There's, um, it's like, you know, I was just thinking, what could it be like? They talk about enjoyment of uh, the divine musicians, the Gandharvas, uh, who have extraordinary enjoyment of the arts. So who was the, uh, I think it was Bach who became deaf, Beethoven? Yes, Beethoven he became deaf. And yet, imagine, composer of classical music who became deaf and yet could in his mind experience it maybe even more vividly, music. So it's possible that an extraordinary level of enjoyment is possible if you cultivate it enough and if you have that kind of a, um, of a mind, an inner instrument of enjoyment. So there are other worlds, other bodies, and other sources of enjoyment. And the Upanishad sets up a whole range of these. Depending upon your credit, your good karma, you get to go to one or more of these heavens and enjoy uh, much more than you could. A hundred times more than that extraordinary human being who has maximum human happiness. A hundred times more than that. That's the lowest heaven. A hundred times more than that is the next heaven. A hundred times more than that is the next heaven. And so you go on. Where does it end? Is there a maximum possible happiness? So all this is from the Vedas, the Karmakanda. You would say, Hey, wait a minute, all these wonderful things are available. I never heard of this. You, 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 I never hear you teaching these things. They all belong to that portion of the Vedas, which precedes the Upanishads, which precedes Vedanta. This, that portion is called the Karmakanda, the ritualistic portion of the Vedas, where these things are promised. And clearly, see, they are all faith-based, but you have to buy into this, um, you know, believe in this. Where does it end? What's the highest? The highest is, Hiranyagarbha or Brahma, not Brahman, but Brahma, Hiranyagarbha, which is what Yama is talking about. The limit of anything that can be that has been promised in all the Vedas, for example, uh, that is Brahma. I sat down and calculated how much happiness does Brahma get. So if that extraordinary young man, rich and learned and, and healthy and all of that, if that's one. And a hundred times that is the lowest heaven, and a hundred times that is the next highest heaven. When you work your way all the way up to even the king of the gods, Indra, even higher than that. So Yama is relatively lower. Yama is uh, uh, a minion of the king of the gods. Higher than him is, is Indra, the king of the gods. And higher than Indra, um, so higher than that, you ultimately go up to what is called Hiranyagarbha or Brahma. And I calculated it comes to 10 to the power 20. One followed by 20 zeros of what? Of the highest possible human happiness. If you think about that, you're going to have a stroke. So don't think about it. And that's the, the limit. Uh, and that one can attain. But there's only one Brahma or one Hiranyagarbha in each cycle of the universe. For millions and millions of years, there'll be one Hiranyagarbha. When this universe is destroyed, the next universe is created, one more Hiranyagarbha will be projected depending on which sentient being has the maximum good karma and so on. So all that is um, interesting, but don't bother yourself uh, about it because that's not what we are looking for. And that's Nachiketa has set it all aside. He says it's still fiction. It's still something within a virtual reality. It's still a part of a movie. It's still Maya. So yeah, I have no interest in that sort of thing. But that's what Yama is not talking about. He's talking about the happiness of um, Hiranyagarbha, the greatest of the gods, the, what we in Vedanta what we call the cosmic mind, consciousness associated with all minds. Suppose you could be that consciousness associated with all minds. Uh, that would be the happiness of Hiranyagarbha. What is it like? thing. What a beautiful phrase. The limits of desire. You cannot hope for anything more than that. You cannot this itself is beyond our imagination. The limits of desire. 
Jagata Pratishtham, the foundation of the universe. You are the foundation of the universe. It's like, why is Hiranyagarbha the foundation of the universe? It's like in your dreams. So you are there and people are there. And there's a world that you imagine. But all of that, the world that we imagine in the dreams and the people who populate that world, and including I myself in that world, the whole thing depends upon my mind, the dreaming mind. The dreaming mind is the cosmic mind in that dream. Similarly, in this universe which we inhabit, there's a cosmic mind, which is the foundation of this universe. You are the, the, that is possible to be that one, which is the foundation of this entire universe. Kratovar Anantyam, the endless result of all Vedic meditations. So in, in the Karma Kanda, ritualistic portion of the Vedas, which we don't touch, which we skip over, there are these rituals and there are certain meditations which are supposed to be practiced in accompanying these rituals. So these meditations are specifically referred to as the Kratu. Kratu normally means all Vedic rituals, including the meditations. Here it means the meditations, the ultimate result of this, the greatest of the results. Abhayasya param, another beautiful phrase, the limit of fearlessness or beyond the shores of fear. Once you have attained it, you are beyond, there's, there's nothing that can disturb you. Nobody is going to overthrow you. Nobody is going to uh, threaten you. Uh, you are safe. There are no elections. There's nothing for you to lose anymore. The next Hiranyagarbha is going to come contest elections. And no, you are safe. Safe for the, till the end of the universe. But that's also coming. <laughs> in any movie, you may be the supreme power in a movie. But if it's a movie, the movie will come to an end. And even when the movie is going on, it's still not ultimately real. There's something underneath that which is appearing in all these ways. So, avayasya param. Yes, beyond uh, the shores of fear, um, the, uh, you have reached the shores of fearlessness, but only in a, in a um, uh, relative sense, not absolutely. Absolutely beyond fear is realization of, is God realization, is enlightenment, uh, is nirvana, moksha, whatever you call it. That's what Najiketa wants. Stomam. That which is highly praised. Where is it highly praised? In the ritualistic portion of the Vedas, in the Karmakandas. That's the highest thing that they can talk about. Mahadurugayam, vast is the course of Hiranyagarbha. Pratishtham Drishtva, this foundation, or the Chiketa, Drishtva, having seen, examined, Dhritya, carefully, patiently, consistently, Dhira, you, the qualified seeker of Vedanta. O Nachiketa, Nachiketa Atyasrakshi, you have firmly, consistently, intelligently rejected the whole thing. Atyasrakshi rejected firmly from a distance. What did Nachiketa say? Do you remember? He said to Yama, Tavaiva Vaha Tavanitya Gite, keep your songs and dances. I don't want any of that. Uh, so from a distance, you're not even slightly tempted also. You treated it, the whole thing, uh, with the disdain it deserves. How did you do that? Trishtva, you saw through it. It's not bravado. You have examined it. You really want happiness. You really want to go over, over suffering, overcome suffering. And this is one way of getting happiness and overcoming suffering, but you see through it. This is still within the realm of illusion within the realm of maya it will still come to an end and even as long as it lasts it's not real real in the sense of uh, brahman the ultimate reality dhritya patiently consistently you didn't you didn't fluctuate you didn't hesitate you didn't blink um, you let go of the whole thing even the slightest hesitation and you would have been trapped in samsara once again Dhira. Why, why was it possible? Dhira is a word which is used again and again in the Upanishads. It basically means the one qualified for Vedanta. The one who has viveka, the discernment between eternal and non-eternal. Has vairagya, firm dispassion for the non-eternal. Has the sixfold disciplines or treasures required for a Vedantic seeker. And intense desire for enlightenment, mumukshutta. The fourfold qualifications if one has, that is a dhira. Who is that? Nachiketa. You are. 
may we have more students like you now he yama is finally going to talk about what nachiketa wants and he introduces the subject for the first time what is the subject now he is going to introduce brahman the ultimate reality the absolute and very important and powerful uh, mantras 12th and 13th mantras tam durdarsham gudham manupravishtam guhahitam gavhareshtam puranam adhyatma yogadhigamena devam matvadhiro harsha shokau jahati we use the sanskrit original the translation would be the intelligent one gives up happiness and sorrow by developing concentration of mind on the self with capital s and thereby meditating on the old deity who's inscrutable lodged inaccessibly located in the intellect and seated in the midst of misery all right a very powerful introduction to the subject so at last we get around to it um yama is now introducing vedanta what is this reality which um, which nachiketa is seeking he says durdarsham um it is very difficult to experience it can be experienced but it's very difficult why is it difficult because it's not an object of the senses it it's something that cannot be seen it cannot be heard smelled tasted touched and if it's not something that's an that's uh, empirically evident then all our uh, reasoning is also based on empirical data see science depends on data and then reasoning or you set up a hypothesis and then collect data and then check it out but if there's no empirical evidence um, possible for this then reasoning also won't work so it's not available for pratyaksha and anumana for sense perception and inference therefore durdarsham very difficult to perceive um then he says gudham manupravishtam it is inscrutably lodged within it is hidden inscrutable means hidden here hidden how the atman it is you but it's hidden your real nature is hidden uh, how is it hidden shankaracharya the commentator he uses a very interesting uh, phraseology here he says prakrita vishaya vikara vigyane hi prachannam hidden prachannam covered hidden by what by our uh, ordinary knowledge prakrita vishaya vikara vigyane by consciousness modified by the experience of uh, ordinary objects what does it mean is this it is you it is already there it cannot be hidden it is shining forth all the time but as if hidden you know how is it hidden it is hidden like the movie screen is hidden by the movie is the movie screen really hidden by the movie well yes and no that's a peculiar thing i love this story and actually i heard it from ramananda saraswati so a wandering monk a very wonderful teacher who passed a few years ago so he said um, that imagine this little boy who goes to see a who doesn't know what a movie is it's very difficult to imagine today but his father takes him to the city to show him a movie a cinema a film and on the way the father explains to him there'll be this movie screen and on which you will see the pictures and sounds and that will be a movie so they enter and it's important thing that they enter the cinema hall when the movie has already started this is if you get in at the beginning you can understand what's going on but unfortunately or fortunately whatever it is we have been thrown into the middle of the movie when we were born and we saw the body and our plaintling thoughts and mother and father and the world the world the movie was already on and we were thrust into the middle of it so this boy enters but the movie is already on and they sit in the darkness and watch the cinema after some time the boy at first the boy is entranced so this is a very nice example at first we are entranced by the movie we get busy with the movie but after some time we ask a question what's the point of it what's going on here what's the reality we ask a philosophical question we ask a spiritual question even the fundamental sciences i've seen some of our best monks were are physicists by training 
you know it's it's no accident because many of them became physicists they studied physics fundamental physics particle physics or cosmology it's the same quest to understand what is this so you ask the boy ask the question where is the uh, movie screen you talked about i can see the movie this is the movie i understand where is the movie screen fill the uh, the the cinema screen and the father whispers right there in front of you and so i imagine this is a mahabharata movie maybe and krishna is teaching uh, the geeta to arjuna and uh, the boy says so that one arjuna is the mo- movie screen no behind him behind him means krishna no behind him behind him so behind krishna is uh, the chariot and the battlefield no behind all of that it, it's all all of it you mean so the movie screen means the chariot plus the krishna plus arjuna plus the battlefield and the sky all together is the movie no 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 remove all of that then you get the movie screen oh you mean then the movie screen is nothing how will the father indicate what the movie screen is if he points to something there'll be a picture if he says it's all of it then the boy will tend to put all the pictures together and think it's a set of pictures If the father says dismiss the pictures it's that which is behind the pictures if he dismisses the picture the boy will think it's nothing because all he sees are pictures how will the father point out the movie screen the movie screen as it were is hidden by all these uh, pictures and imagine then go a little further imagine a movie in which there uh, are not only pictures and sound imagine three dimensional imagine there is um smell they've they actually have a mo- movie theater like that where in the in the seats where you are sitting the little bursts of air will put some fragrances if there's a flower in the mo- in the cinema uh, or something like that you will you will smell the fragrance of the flower also um and then they have added motion your seat will move a little bit uh if there is a car or something moving in the, so you get a feeling of actually what's happening um and touch i don't think that's come in the cinema yet but they are working on it in mit media labs in boston they showed me uh something in development um so uh, there are these you know like these pictures which are virtually floating around there's nothing actually there if you reach out and try to touch you will feel the touch how how does that happen so you have sensors which give you tiny bursts of air on your fingertips you feel a kind of pressure more or less depending on how by how much you're pushing what you are touching some are warm some are cold so uh without anything there you put your hands you can feel you can actually touch things so touch can also be simulated now imagine a movie in which you see it all around you a virtual reality and imagine you can smell it you can taste it you can touch it you can hear it all around you and also imagine the thoughts are also being projected in your mind so uh, what the hero is thinking you you're thinking the same thoughts what the hero is feeling the fright and the happiness and the you know you're scared of whatever is happening or thrilled all of those things you're feeling suppose those things can be injected in your mind and then suppose the characters memories are put into your mind and then your own memories and thoughts are blanked out you will totally forget that you are in a movie won't won't we forget we'll just feel i am this one that i'm sitting in some kind of super advanced virtual uh, cinema theater i forget that i'll i just feel this is what i am this is where i am this is who i am i will forget that it's part of a cinema part of 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 a uh, of a virtual reality and maybe that day is not too far off you know to some extent we're going there with the meta and things like that now shankaracharya says the same thing here imagine that so that's what has happened to us he uses the term prakrita vishaya vikara vigyanehi prachannam the reality is hidden by our experiences of of nature of the world 
because you see, you hear, you smell, you touch, you think, you desire, you remember, you try to understand. Yeah. All of these things are actually obscuring the reality, which is present right there, like the movie screen. By the way, in the movie screen, you can extend it further. How would the child see the screen? There are two ways of doing it. There's a yogic way and there's a Vedantic way of doing it. The yogic way says that shut the movie down for goodness sake, for a moment. Let the kids see the uh, screen. Now, shutting the movie down will result in what is the darkness. When we were kids, we used to go to cinema halls. There was to be an intermission. I don't know if that's there anymore nowadays. So there used to be like a break. Um, so you see the movie for a while and the movie stops and you can go out for popcorn or things like that and come back again into the movie hall. But when the movie stops, the hall becomes dark. You can't see anything. You can't see a movie, but you can't see anything else also. Then the lights come on. So when the hall becomes dark, it's like deep sleep. Every night we experience that. The movie is switched off, but there's nothing else. There's just darkness also. No lights come on. So it's like darkness. That is Ajnana, the ignorance of, uh, you know, the, the, it's called the causal body or Ajnana. Now, when the lights come on in the hall, the kid finally gets to see the screen. Oh, I see. So that happens in yogic samadhi. That's one way. And that's not the way of Vedanta, actually. Yogic samadhi claims you shut down the movements of the mind. You see, the problem, as Shankaracharya says, is because you are seeing, hearing, smelling, tasting, touching, uh, thinking, desiring, loving, hating, remembering, forgetting. Uh, this is because of that you are not able to see consciousness as it is. Then shut all of that down. Yoga chitta vritti nirodha. And yet you are awake, not in deep sleep. You will see the pure consciousness which is behind, underneath, um, illumining all of this. And you will become enlightened. Vedanta says, this is a confusion. No, this is not the way to do it. Notice the difference between the father and the kid. Even when the movie is going on and all the pictures are there, does the father have any confusion about the screen? Does the father say, hold on, just a minute, switch up the movie, I need to see the screen. No, the father knows whatever he's seeing is the screen. The screen is underneath it all. It makes the entire movie possible. There's no problem at all with the movie. Play a horror movie, play a funny movie, play a, um, a sad movie. For him, it's all aesthetic enjoyment. Why? What is the difference between the father and the son? The father already knows what the screen is. And even when the movie plays, it's no obstruction to the father. So the experiences of the senses are no obstruction actually to uh, for the enlightened one. Now, you say, but yeah, but at one point you have to see the screen. Then only you realize... Not necessarily. Even when the movie is playing, Vedanta says you need to distinguish between picture and screen. Distinguish, not physically, not by switching up the pictures, in your understanding. Exactly like that, in our understanding, we need to distinguish between consciousness, names and forms. Names, forms and activities, that is the picture. That is the picture of the film of samsara. And in and through it, underneath it, it is always that one unlimited consciousness. That can be understood, grasped through Vedantic inquiry right now, without yogic samadhi, without trying to switch up the movie. Do you see these two ways? Which, which way is better? I'll always claim the Vedantic way is better, uh, the path of knowledge. Actually, Madhusudan Saraswati, the great non-dualist, in his commentary on the Bhagavad Gita in one verse, uh, he, he says, since ancient times, the Lord, that is Maheshwara, uh, Shiva, has given these two paths. One, for those who consider the world, body and mind to be real, there is no path other than Samadhi. You have to shut it down to see what's beyond. And for those, he says, those who follow the Vedantic path, the path of the Upanishads, there is the way of Vedantic inquiry. You know, Drigdrishya, Vivek, Panchakosha, the three states, all of that, whatever we study, there's the way of inquiry. Uh, and, and he says clearly, that is the path indicated by our venerable master, Shankaracharya, the path of Vedantic inquiry. Right here, while experiencing the movie, can I see 
that what is real and what is the movie. Okay. So all of this is gudam anupravishtam. It is hidden. So what should we do? Vivekananda, Swami Vivekananda says that you need all of it. You need the purificatory practices. You need devotion to God. You need regular meditation and Vedantic inquiry. If you are a regular meditator, capable of focusing and controlling the mind, Vedantic inquiry is that much more powerful. If you're not capable of meditation, if you ignore meditation, oh, that's for yogis. I'm a Vedantic uh, and a follower of Upanishads. I don't need to meditate. And you're this distracted, restless person. That inquiry won't work. The Vedantic inquiry won't work. It'll be shallow and uh, unstable. You'll end up saying, after a lot of effort, we'll end up saying, I understand it intellectually, but I'm not experiencing it. It's, you know, if you try to explain to the kid what the screen is and what the movie is, um, the kid might end up saying exactly the same thing. I understand theoretically what you're trying to say, but I can't appreciate the screen. So I need to switch off the movie and see the screen for itself. And then you switch on the movie again. I'm fine with it. So all of that is very helpful. Then, where is this Atman? Where is this Brahman which Nachiketa is asking? Guhahitam, in the cave of the mind. It's right here. It's in you. It is you, the real you. It's not the body, but it's in the body. It's not the mind, but it's in the mind. It's that which lights up the mind and the body. Lights up the mind and the senses and the body and gives us all sorts of experiences. That light shining in the core of our minds, core of our beings, that is our real nature. That is consciousness. That is Atman. Guhahitam. Sitting in the cave of the mind. Gavvareshtam. What a beautiful and um, you know, disturbing phrase. He says, in the midst of all this nastiness, in the midst, Gavarishtam, in the middle of miseries, in the middle of samsara, in the middle of this mess, where we find ourselves right now, in this nastiest of places. Not in some heaven somewhere else which is perfect, but right here, in samsara, in this body of flesh and blood and bones, in this mind of thoughts, of restlessness, in the middle of all problems, in the middle of desire and frustration, in the middle of aging and disease and hopelessness, in the middle of poverty and, and ignorance, in the middle of war and hatred, is this perfection already there? Is God already shining forth right here, right now? This is the meaning of the word, Gavvareshtam. Literally, it means in the middle of the mess. Puranam. Puranam means the ancient one. This Atman, this consciousness is the ancient one. Ancient one, eternal. It has always been there. It is there. It will always continue to be there. But even higher than, deeper than this, it's not really eternal. Even time is an object to it. Space is an object to it. Ob object to what? To consciousness. In consciousness appears space. In consciousness appears time. Consciousness, Atman, is not limited by space or time. Taking into account space, you have to say it is all pervasive. Otherwise, people will think it's small. It's, it's inside the body, inside the mind, some tiny little thing. No. To, to uh, correct that belief that it's somehow a limited thing, you say it is all pervasive. But that's only after accepting space. Even space appears in consciousness. It is uh, eternal. That's only after accepting um, time. Actually, time is smaller than the Atman. Space is smaller than the Atman. It's more limited than the Atman. But still, Puranam, ancient one. This ancient. Who is this ancient one? My great-grandfather? No, it's you. You are that ancient one. You are more ancient than the world's. Before this body you were, before humanity itself you were, before life existed you were, before these planets came up you were, at the beginning of the Big Bang there was one witness, you. And before that, that changeless darkness which preceded the appearance of this universe, 
you were the witness. And the earlier universe before that, you were the witness. So you are the most ancient one. Another description, Devam. Devam literally means God. Literally, if you etymologically, it means the bright one. It means consciousness. That which is ever shining, timelessly shining. That shining, everything else shines. Because of that, you are able to hear, smell, taste, touch. How strange. Our hear, hearing, smelling, tasting and touching hides that one, so to say. It's only because of that reality we are able to do this. And these, these are, if, if you understand what is being talked about, it just follows. It's just a description of our real nature. We should just, if you get it, our reaction to this wouldn't, won't be a quizzical, what is he trying to say? It should be, yes, yes, yes. It's true. It's a fact. I shining. Tameva bhanta manuvati sarvam. That shining, everything else shines. That means consciousness sh shining. What else shines? Our mind, our thoughts, feelings, emotions are revealed. Sense perceptions, seeing, hearing, smelling, tasting, touching. The universe is revealed. That shining, consciousness shining, you shining, everything else shines after you. Tasya bhasa sarvam idam vibhati. In the Kathopanishad itself it will come. By its light, everything here is revealed. Everything here is shining. It's light by the light of consciousness, by your light. By your light, you and the light are one, one and the same thing. All right. Matwa, having realized it. Having realized this. This has to be realized. How does one realize it? Adhyatma yogena adhigamena. Adhyatma yoga adhigamena. By the method of... Um, Adhyatma Yoga. Adhyatma Yoga here basically means Jnana Yoga, the path of Jnana Yoga. Um, more precisely, centering yourself in that reality, being stabilized in that, I am Brahman, I am Atman, I am that limitless awareness, unchanging, un you know, the, in the phrase of Aurobindo, the white glare of an immortal gaze. What is the white glare of an immortal gaze? Sounds like science fiction or sounds scary. You are that. What is your immortal gaze? The experience of the universe. What is the white glare? Consciousness itself. How do you realize that? Being centered in it. How do you become centered in it? Adhyatma Yoga. Shavana Manana Nididhyasana. Here specifically, if you look at the commentary of Shankaracharya, Nididhyasana is mentioned. Having heard it, Having clarified what it means, being absolutely convinced, convinced and confident about it, center yourself through meditation. Then what is the result? Harsha shoko jahati. Again, the word dhira. Dhira is the qualified one. On, from our side, we need to prepare the mind with the fourfold qualification. Then, shravana manana nididhyasana, the adhyatma yoga, the yoga of um, let us say, knowledge basically. But here it means the culmination of that, the centering yourself in pure consciousness. All right, yeah, that's a good way of putting it. Adhyatma Yoga is the centering yourself in pure consciousness. In, the, in that clarity, I am Brahman. That is Adhyatma Yoga. By that, Matwa, having realized. What is the result? Harsha Shoka Jahati goes beyond pleasure and pain. A search for pleasure and the avoidance of pain that defines samsara, what goes beyond that, doesn't matter anymore. Because what you realize, that white glare of an immortal gaze, that is beyond pleasure and pain. It does not increase, does not decrease. Pleasures and pains are all enabled by it. What is a comedy and what is a tragedy to the movie screen? Both are enabled by the movie screen. The, neither leaves any impact on the movie screen. You can enjoy both. Even pain and pleasure, both can be enjoyed, both can be illumined. You can take both, it's the same to you. You can give up both, it's the same to you. You don't need them. You are not, you are not diminished by pain, you are not increased one bit by pleasure. From your perspective, from the enlightened person's perspective. Yes. Utkarsha, apakarsha, yor, abhavat, jahati. One gives up pleasure and pain in the sense there is no 
increase or decrease in that infinite radiance which you are, which you find yourself to be. By pleasure or pain, they do not diminish you, they do not increase you. Both are, in fact, they depend on you. So that is the giving up of pleasure and pain. It's not becoming like a stone statue. I will not, I will grit my teeth and not react to any kind of pain. Let a mosquito bite me, let a, uh, let, um, uh, you know, like disease come or something. I will just sit there bearing it all. And pleasure, uh, nothing will move me. Even the tastiest food given to me. I'm thinking of a yogi sitting in a, in a cave. I will not be moved by any kind of pleasure. I will not be moved by any kind of pain. That's willpower. That's a good practice. That's not what is being meant here. What is meant here is the real you, in, an, in everybody's case, it is not impacted, not increased or decreased by pleasure or pain. That is giving up, going beyond pleasure and pain. Then he goes on. What is the result of all of this? Method to realize it and the result of it. Mantra number 13. Etat shrutva samparigriha matya pravriya dharmyam anumeta mapya samodate modaniyam hilabdhva vivritam sadma nasiketa sammanye. Another beautiful mantra from Yama. Having, after hearing this, grasping it fully, separating this righteous thing from the body, etc., and attaining this subtle thing, that mortal rejoices, for he has obtained that which is the cause of delight. I consider that mansion of Brahman is wide open to you, Nachiketa. Again, very nicely put, poetically. He says, Matya, O mortal man, O mortal being, Yes, you are immortal. But right now, the one who is seeking is seeking only because we feel we are mortal. We are subject to birth and death and misery. We are in the midst of sorrow. So he says, Matya means mort mortal. That mortal who realizes this. How does he realize? Shutva. He has Shravana. Shravana means you go to the teacher and you study these Upanishads carefully. You come to Vedanta class. That is Shutva. So you have this is the beauty of the way of knowledge. In any other path, you read the book, you go to the teacher, then you have to start doing it. Here, just listening to it, trying to understand what is being said, you're already doing it. This is knowledge about yourself. Then, Samparigrihya, he says, Samparigrihya, the commentator says, Atma Bhavena. By grasping it, that he's talking about me. Aham Brahmasmi. I am Brahman. It means I am Brahman and Brahman is I. I am nothing but Brahman, which means I am not the body, not the mind. I am Brahman. And Brahman, the ultimate reality, is nothing but I. It's not Vishnu and Shiva and the Divine Mother and you know God, Allah, all of that. Other than as an object to me is not the ultimate reality. It is my own reality. So Brahman is nothing other than you. You are nothing other than Brahman. Atma Bhavena. In this way, it has to be ascertained. This is a real reason, real, real reason why Brahman is, our ultimate reality is hidden is because it's not an object. It is hidden as yourself, as the most obvious thing and yet hidden. Because we will search invariably, helplessly for an object. And it's just not an object. I'm reminded of um, someone no less than David Hume, the, one of the greatest philosophers. He says, when I search for the so-called self, I find a stream of ideas and intentions and memories and perceptions, but there's no self. And Vedanta would say that, Mr. Hume, you are looking in the wrong place. You're looking at the, the stream of the mind. That which is looking, that is the self. You can't do anything with it. No, you can't because it's not an object. But it is the most important thing. Without that, no object will be presented to you. No life is there. No experience is there. So, Atma Bhavena. Realize it. I am that reality. What you are asking for Nachiketa, it has to be realized as I, who thought I was this little boy Nachiketa. 
am the absolute reality of the universe. Then, how do you realize I am that reality? Pravriya, separating. This is very important. Um, in fact, Shankaracharya himself says, Prithakritya Sharirādehe, separating from the body, etc. Separating does not mean physically separating. You can't extract the Atman with some uh, instrument. Uh, you know, you have to go to the dentist and it'll act like a tooth extraction, extract the Atman. No. Um, it is by the way of inquiry. After all, what is Drigdrishya Viveka? It is to appreciate the, the seer, the experience, the ultimate experience, the ultimate subject as apart from that which is seen. Drashta in itself apart from that which is seen. What is the method of the five sheets? I look at what I think myself to be, this body-mind, and say, oh, this physical body, then the vital body, prana, and then the uh, mental body, the mind, and then the intellect, and then beyond that, just blankness. And I, the consciousness which reveals all of these, illumines and irradiates these, and activates this body-mind system, I am not the Annamaya, not the Pranamaya, not the Manomaya, not the Vijnanamaya, not the Anandamaya. Not as rhetoric, not as just slogans, but as pointing out again and again and again. It's being pointed out. See, this is a thing. You are not a thing. You are that which illumines and reveals the thing. So, apart from the five sheets, then what is the method of the three states? Waking, dreaming, deep sleep. That which is the waker and experiences the waking. That which is the dreamer and experiences the dream. That which is the deep sleeper and experiences the deep sleep. Underlying all of that is the one awareness in which this game is going on. So appreciating that one awareness, as apart from the waking, dreaming, deep sleep, as apart from the five um, sheets of the human personality, as apart from anything that is object and seen, this is called pravriya. One word he uses here. Again, this is in understanding. A clarity must come about this. You can't physically separate a movie from the screen. You must understand in what sense. In what sense is a pot different from the clay? Or a clay is different from the pot. In what sense is the water different from the wave? Or gold is different from the ornament? You can't physically separate two. But it is different in that sense. What is this reality? Some two words are used here. Dharmyam, Anum. Anum means it's subtle. It can't be an object of the senses. It can't be an object of action. It cannot be an object of reasoning. It cannot be an object of language. It cannot be an object of thought. So, Anum, very subtle. Literally, Anum means um, atom. So it doesn't mean that at the Atman here is atom or atomic in size. It is vast. It is limitless. But Anu here means subtle, actually. Then dharmyam, a strange word to use. Dharma means morality, ethics, religion, um, that is which is the very nature of something, that which holds something together is dharma, dharana, um, that which is moral, ethical, that is dharma. So, but here the ultimate reality is called dharmyam, seeming to indicate that it is only through a moral life that one becomes spiritual. Only by being good that one gets God. Without um, morality, spirituality is not, not possible. One may be a good person without being particularly spiritual, but cannot be a spiritual person without being good. You cannot attain enlightenment without first uh, being a reformed character, being a, um, uh, making an effort to be a good person. One may not be like a 100% saint in all respects, but an effort to lead uh, as much of an ethical life as possible. That is the foundation of spirituality. So th that is being probably being indicated here by saying ultimate reality to be reached through dharma, dharmyam. Then what do you get? Samodate modanim hilabdhva. Samodate modaniyam hilabdhva. Having attained that which is the most delightful. What a nice way of calling the ultimate reality. The most delightful. What does this person do? He delights. The enlightened one delights. Because already you have said goes beyond pleasure and pain. Sounds slightly boring. No. You're most happy. The saints, the enlightened ones are the happiest of all. By far. 
we can't even begin to understand the sublime joy which they effortlessly experience. It's always available to us. We don't see it. We'll get it when we realize who or what we truly are. Modate. Why is Vidyaranya Swami in Panchadashi asks, why is the enlightened one so happy? Why does why, why do they go around with smiley faces? I mean, they don't, but uh, they might as well. Why are enlightened beings so happy? Imagine the happiness of someone um, who has got what is to be got in life. There is something to be attained in life. You have attained it. Um, there is uh, something to be um, done in life. You have done it. What is to be done in human life? There's something to be known in life, the secret of this universe. You have known it. Praptavya praptataya, pritakrityataya, gyatavya gyatataya. Praptavya praptataya means having attained, having got what has to be got in life. Pritakritya means, this is a term used again and again in Vedanta for an enlightened person. It literally means having done what has to be done. The enlightened one has has done what has to be done in human life. What we have been trying lifetime after lifetime is finally done. The game is at an end here. Imagine the satisfaction, the peace. And then the third one is what is to be known? What is the secret of this universe? What is the meaning of it all? What am I? What is all this? You have known it. Having known this, having done this, having got this, he rejoices. That spills over. People around them, they, they, they feel that elevation, that sublime joy. Modaniyam hilabdhva modate, enjoys. And then he uses a very nice phrase for Nachiketa. He says, vivritam sadma, this mansion, this vast palace of Brahman is wide open to you, Nachiketa. The doors are open. Walk through it. It is easy of attainment for you. There's no struggle needed. You're perfectly qualified. Here is the teaching. Walk through it. The doors of, doors of enlightenment are open to you. Here the a commentator helpfully says, we won't make this mistake, but the commentator helpfully says, mansion of Brahman and Brahman are the same thing. It's not that there's a huge mansion in which Brahman is sitting somewhere in there and you have to go through and, and then meet Brahman. No. Mansion of Brahman and Brahman are the same thing. It's you. This is a way of speaking. The mansion of Brahman is open to you. I think, Onachiketa. I feel this. There was a cinema, it's in the news now, Matrix. The first one of them, it was um, um, very, uh, it's very philosophical. Somebody told me many years ago, in the late 1990s, I think it was produced. This, this is a very Vedantic movie. And in that movie, in the beginning, the hero is given a choice of two pills, red pill and blue pill. If you take the blue pill, you will remain in this samsara, in the world of network of delusion. Life will just go on the way it has been. But if you take the red pill, you will be given truth. Red pill is truth, your choice. So Yama here is offering the red pill to Nachiketa. The door to enlightenment is open. Take this if you want and you will walk through the doors of enlightenment. There in the Matrix movie, the whole thing is a very science fiction thing. And it's like uh, there is a network of illusion, very, very much like Maya. But what lies beyond that is very nasty. There are some aliens and there's a science fiction war going on. Don't worry. What lies beyond the network of Maya here is wonderful. Is our real nature. That's what we have been seeking lifetime after lifetime. Take the red pill, fearlessly walk through these doors. But yes, it's irreversible. Once you see, you cannot unsee. Once you walk through, you cannot take it back anymore. That's why sometimes I say, don't be in a hurry to become enlightened. You cannot undo this. So, uh, it is irreversible. Of course, I'm just joking, but it's, it's a great, great blessing. So, that's what it is. Now, let's quickly take a look at the comments. Patrick says, Hirnagarbha, same as Saguna Brahman. No, no, no. Saguna Brahman is Ishvara, God, and is eternal. And the God alone appears next stage as Hiranyagarbha, as the first jiva, uh, which, which is the first product. You know, in the iconography, Vishnu, there's a lotus which blooms in the navel of Vishnu. And on that lotus seat sits Brahma. That is Hiranyagarbha. That's the highest being. But that comes and goes with the creation and destruction of the universe. 
Um, Rick says, Yama refers to Nachiket as having already become enlightened merely by rejecting the previous offer. You on becoming enlightened. Really? Or is he using the word enlightened in a different way here? Um, I forgot to mention it there. But yes, in a different way, in a, in a relative way. When he talks about this infinite being, Hiranyagarbha, which is beyond the uh, fear, you have reached the limit of desire. All of it is relative. In this world of movies, in the fiction, uh, this is the greatest thing that there is. And so Nachiketa has understood this. In this sense, he's, he's enlightened. We share, all share in that enlightened to some extent, at least, to the, to the extent that we are firmly convinced God realization, enlightenment is our goal. Yama would say, you are enlightened then. You already have it because you are going to get it. You are unstoppable now. If we are particularly naughty and lazy and we mess it up, then not in this lifetime. But even then, we're unstoppable. It'll be one more lifetime at the most. But let's try to make it in this lifetime. Punita says, it may help us more if MIT labs could focus on simulating the experience of an enlightened being than simulate our daily life experience in a virtual setting. Yes, who's going to tell them? <laughs> uh, Abhijit says, your description of the three-dimensional five senses movie reminded me of Matrix movie. Right, right. This is exactly what I was talking about. Rick says, plenty of people think they are enlightened because they understand that the screen is there, yet they are not, because it's not a living experience for them. Yes, it's true. That living experience is most important. Otherwise, we won't be able to live it in our lives. The taste of the pudding, you know, um, you have to walk the talk, like Americans say. Um, one may get it, one may even feel that such a thing is there, but, un but one still has not solved one's problems. Ishwar says, are these locus and heavens projections of the mind? Not really. I mean, to the extent that this world is not a projection of the mind, then these locus and heavens are also not projections of the mind. They are different states of being. Somebody said they are different states in this here itself. Here is the world which we experience as a mortal world. There are beings who will experience uh, hellish worlds here. There are beings who will experience heavenly worlds here. But all of them are um, in, in samsara, in, in the realm of Maya. They're all movies. On the same screen, you may see a, a, a comedy uh, and one may see uh, another movie at another time, which is a tragedy. But both are movies. Tamiko says it sounds like as a personality in the Upanishads, Yama or death serves as a bridge between the less conscious, limited worldview from the Vedas, more complete one of Vedanta. Yes, and that's, that you will find in all the almost all the Upanishads. All the Upanishads, you know, if you remember, these Upanishads are part of the Vedas. So they have a background of this enormous ritualism, this attraction for going to heaven, all that is in the background, and they're leaving it all behind. So you'll, in many of the Upanishads, you'll find a critique of what has gone on before that. Mundak Upanishad, then you'll read, it, they'll mention those rituals and going to heaven and staying there for countless ages, and you'll say that none of that is any good. When it's all over, it's just over. It's as if you've never had it at all. It's better to, to forego all that and search for enlightenment, search for the truth, rather than you know, take the blue pill and uh, relax back into sleep again. Take the red pill and uh, see for yourself what the truth is. Abhijit says, Gavvarishtam in the midst of misery, why is misery highlighted? Why not joy or just experience itself? Could be, but right now we are seeking all this in the midst of misery. We are in samsara and we know there is sorrow here. And that's why we are seeking for a solution. And the pointing out is that here itself, not somewhere else, now itself, not somewhere else. So here and now is this mess which we find ourselves in. Here itself you will find the perfection. Here you will, yourself will find the ultimate in the midst of the relative. By the way, in case I forget, you remember I mentioned that um, Puranam, the ancient being, Brahman is called the ancient being, and I said it's actually not even ancient because Brahman is beyond the concept of time. Only when you accept time, you have to say it is uh, eternal. Uh, 
So I would like to point out, this is where it becomes acceptable to Buddhism. See, what Madhyamaka Buddhism of Nagarjuna, what it rejects is the two extremes. Nothing is real. Nihilism. And then that is rejected. But it's also not that there is one unchanging ultimate reality eternally existing. That's called eternalism. Ucceda Vada and Shashwata Vada. Both are rejected by, by uh, Madhyamaka Buddhism. Notice, Advaita Vedanta normally is classified as eternalism. There is one eternal, unchanging reality. But actually, that's not true. We are not even talking about one eternal reality. There is time and through time persists this unchanging reality. No. Even time appears in that reality. It is beyond change and not change. Then it becomes acceptable to uh, Shunyavada Buddhism. Anyway, there's just a point. Question two. Extending the movie and screen example to 3D movie all surrounding us, what would be the screen? Why only 3D? 5D, all five senses, plus thoughts, emotions, ideas, um, identity. What would be the screen? Consciousness, Atman, Brahman. Sridhama says, is there a way to understand consciousness as being beyond time and space? Even with the dream example, time especially feels relative to the dreamer's time. Don't think about the dreamer's time. Think about the time within the dream. That time is different from the time you have spent sleeping in the bed. The feel that you get within the dream, a lot of time may have passed. Or very quickly things go by. So there is a time dilation or a time distortion. Even your, depending on attention, our experience time is sometimes feel bored. Time seems to just not pass. You are excited and happy. Time just flies. What is time flying and not passing? It's a subjective experience. Um, so time and uh, space depend on change, depend on, on extent and change. And both of these are appearances in, in consciousness. A dream is actually a good example for both. Ishwar says, am I wrong in understanding that Ishwar or God? So Ishwar is saying this. Uh, Ishwar or God is an object in consciousness. No. Ishwar or God is consciousness. Think about yourself. What are you? Are you an object in consciousness? Or are you consciousness? You are really consciousness. But your body is an object in consciousness. Thoughts and feelings are objects in consciousness. Similarly, for Ishwar or for God, who is consciousness, but God's power, Maya, that is an object in consciousness. But God Himself, herself, itself is pure consciousness, the same as you. Om Shanti 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 Hari Om Tatsat Shri Ram Krishna Rupanamastu.